1: Welcome to episode 101 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. If you are new to the show, well, this is a US Latino show dedicated to pop culture, but with a Hispanic twist. We talk everything from movies, music, television shows, but to also uh, how Latinos interact with the rest of mainstream America. I am your host, Jack Rico. And uh, thank you so much for discovering us if uh, this is your first time on the show. On this week's episode, I'm going to be talking to Clayton Davis from AwardCircuit.com. He joins me to discuss the 2019 Oscar nominations and the newly minted Latino Entertainment Journalists Association, which he has founded. I'm going to talk to him about what would happen if Roma sweeps the Oscars. Will that quiet Latino critics who claim prejudice by the Academy. Also, will actress Yalita Aparicio, she is the protagonist of Roma, will her nomination break down doors for indigenous faces in film and TV? Let's be honest, how many indigenous faces do you see in Spanish language TV? Not many. How many do you see in American TV? Barely any why is this the case him and i talked about it and then i chat with bilingual actor singer and host carlos ponce one of my favorite guys in the industry about his new co-starring role in telemundos jugando con fuego we talk about attracting a bilingual viewer to spanish tv the value of returning to your latino roots after crossing over and why he thinks jugar con fuego will be a word of mouth hit
0: here are the films selected as best picture nominees Black Panther, Kevin Feige, producer.
1: Black Klansman, Sean McKittrick, Jason Blum, Raymond Mansfield, Jordan Peele, and Spike Lee, producers.
0: Bohemian Rhapsody, Graham King, producer.
1: The Favorite, CeCe Dempsey, Ed Geine, Lee Magaday, and Yorgos Lanthimos, producers.
0: Green Book. Jim Burke, Charles B. Wessler, Brian Curdy, Peter Fairley, and Nick Vallalonga, producers.
2: Roma, Gabriela Rodriguez,
1: and Alfonso Cuaron, producers.
0: A Star is Born, Bill Gerber, Bradley Cooper, and Lynette Howell Taylor, producers.
1: And the eighth and final nominee, Vice. Dee Dee Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner, Adam McKay, and Kevin Messick,
2: producers.
1: So the 2019 Oscar nominations came out this week, and Alfonso Cuaron's Roma led the pack with 10 awards. And to discuss what this means for Latinos in this country is Clayton Davis from awardcircuit.com, and he's also the president of the Latino Entertainment Journalists Association. Hey, Clayton, welcome back, buddy. Yeah,
3: thanks for having me, man.
1: All right, before we get into the Oscar nominations, let's first discuss the Latino Entertainment Journalists Association uh, that you just founded. I'm I'm a proud member of it. Why did it take so long for an organization like this to finally happen?
3: It's been an ongoing question for years, and a lot, and it's been through different inceptions and different, uh, you know, kind of people started to do it, and then you know, then stuff would break down. Um, honestly, what I why why I think it took so long is, and it's become the pillar and one of the missions of of the organization is that people and by people I mean Latinos for so long we argue about what we want to be called Mm -hmm. and how we want to be like interpreted and how we want to be like shown to the world that we argue with each other about what it is that we should be doing and how we should be viewed that we're arguing so much that we're not getting stuff done. Mm. So what I did was I said, all right, stop the bickering. (laughs) So we'll do an organization that is inclusive of everyone, no matter how you want to be uh, portrayed or identified. And as we live in this time where gender uh, identities and 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 social and economic things are 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 getting an evolution in terms of how it's, it's viewed, um, let's let's create this organization L- using the word Latino, which I believe is universal in the sense of how non-Latinos will view us, mm-hmm. and, but we still make it a pillar within our mission and, and, our, and our description to be about what we're actually about. And that's about uh, getting the Hispanic voices to the forefront and let them know that we're not invisible any longer, it, especially in the field of entertainment journalism.
1: Now that the organization is, is, is up and running, uh, if anybody wanted to join, what would they have to do?
3: Membership will open up again in the summertime, and our requirements are you have to be an established entertainment critic. Uh, In the the field of film, for the film section, there are going to be different sections for television journalists, uh, film journalists, music journalists, and and so forth. We have a plan to do that. Um, We can't have the standard requirements that are in other organizations which means you have to have 50 reviews from the same outlet that you have to be at for three years because as we know a lot of latino uh entertainment journalists are not full-timers at no we're we're
1: not hired our voices aren't heard these are the problems these establishment uh places uh don't hire latino voices why do you think that is
3: that's such a loaded question um i i i think we live, and by we Hispanics and Latinos, we live in this middle gray area where we're not white, so we're not necessarily accepted by the whites, and we're not really, you know, I think maybe other minorities don't see us as struggling as much because we're not black. And we, and as someone who is both Puerto Rican and black and grew up I grew up in the Bronx in a predominantly black neighborhood and I'm not dark skinned. So I wasn't black enough for the black people. And then I moved to New Jersey and (laughs) then I moved to a predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood where everyone spoke Spanish, but I don't speak Spanish. So I wasn't Puerto Rican enough for the Puerto Rican people and I'm not white. So I'm not white enough for the white people. So Latinos end up in this little gray area very often. I don't think my story is isolated where we are just like, looked at a little differently and like, they want us to do battle with both sides. They're like, hey, you battle with the white crowd. You, you can do that because you have light skin. Or the white crowd rejects us and they say, no, no, you, you you get in your fight just like, you know, the black people are getting in. it's just like this weird kind of dissection of race that, like, I think needs to be addressed at some point. So I don't know why we're not at the New York Times and all these other outlets. All I can do is give give our voices an opportunity to be heard and let is hopefully going to do that.
1: Right. And before we get into that, also congratulations. We had our first Latino uh, film awards. Uh, Roma won heavily. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this uh, awards that we just had this past weekend.
3: Sure. Yeah, it was our, it was our first uh, award, uh, first ever awards uh, give out. Uh, The members voted. Uh, We do preferential ballot, much like the Oscars. Roma was the heavy winner, went uh, nine out of its 11 nominations. It won nine of them. It would have been uh,
1: hilarious back- if it didn't, you know?
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah. What's funny is doing something like this in this year, like it was almost like, it was, like it, was, it was expected of us. We didn't do it. People would be like, what are you doing? But, <laughs> Cold but it, War it was, won was Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 was, but what was surprising that Roma didn't leave the nomination tally for us It was Black Panther actually led the nominations, had 12 nominations, and it won a bunch as well, too. So we were just like across the board in many different aspects. Uh, Bradley Cooper won Best Actor, which I think was a little bit of a surprise, especially given how close uh, the Best Actor race is in general. Yuletha Aparicio won Best Actress, Uh, Mahershala Ali won Supporting Actor, and then for Green Book, and then Regina King won supporting actress for If Beale Street Could Talk. So three out of the four acting winners were minorities. It uh, wasn't done on purpose. It wasn't done because we were like a Latino group that should only vote for a Latino. Yeah, I think African that's minorities. what people might
1: might also be like asking. It's like, well, of course they're Latino. They're going to like, you know, obligatedly uh, go for the either the Latino or the minority, but that's not the case.
3: No, because mm-hmm. uh, if you look at the supporting actor category, it was pretty standard. Uh, Oscar fodder kind of lineup mm-hmm. that you know that yields consensus. Adam Driver was there. Timothy Chalamet was there. So like stuff like that happens. And then we obviously had the big thing of of the awards was that we we gave out our first lifetime achievement award, and we had decided that whoever won the first one, we would then name the award after them. Kind of like so what the Globes
1: did with Carol Burnett, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, and I and I think we said that tongue in cheek, and no one. Knowing full well what we were gonna do, I meaning as a group, like as a consensus feel, and we are proud to say that the Rita Moreno Lifetime Achievement Award will now be given to Rita Moreno, and any person that follows this now will get the Rita Moreno Lifetime Achievement Award because she is like the goddess of uh, all yeah. Hispanic actresses. Ego, and, yeah, yeah, and and like yeah, the fr- like she's just everything. So we we can't. We can't pick a better person to lead the charge for us moving
1: forward. So let's move on to the Oscar nominations. Uh, you are probably one of the leading uh, critics in terms of following the award ceremonies. You do an excellent job with Award Circuit Daily. Uh, you're in the nitty gritty of the inside Hollywood uh, scope and spectrum. So, Roma, obviously, I think everyone thought that this was going to happen. 10 nominations. Uh, a great moment, historic moment for Roma for Alfonso Cuaron. At a moment where Alejandro González Iñárritu and Guillermo del Toro were the big heavyweights, Alfonso comes in out of nowhere and goes, "Hey guys, out of the three amigos, I'm the big man on campus now." <laughs> yeah. um, tell me the significance behind Roma getting ten nods, and most likely the front runner right now to win Best Picture and Best Director.
3: There, there's so much history. To what was made today with Roma singularly by itself and I can't wait to see all the think pieces today they're gonna to be written by a bunch of white guys <laughs> that aren't gonna understand the significance of today but here, here it goes we'll st- I'm, I'm gonna start from from their perspective is what they're gonna talk about first the fact that Netflix a streaming service became the first streaming service to get a Best Picture nomination Good on that. We're moving into that kind of Mm -hmm. stratosphere now. Alfonso Cuarón ties for the most nominations for a single film. Uh, He got four nominations today as a producer, director, uh, writer, and cinematographer on the film. He missed film editing, which is probably the film's biggest miss of the day. uh, If you were going to count that, that's uh, the biggest miss of the day, Mm -hmm. that would have given him five and then he would have the record uh, for a single film. But also, it's also worth noting a lot of people will say that foreign language film, he's nominated for that, that gets awarded to the country. Um, so he technically does not receive that Oscar nomination, mm. even though the film's nominated for foreign language film. It's a technicality, it sucks, but whatever. So there's that. The big thing there also is that Gabriela Rodriguez, who everyone may not know that name, is the first Hispanic woman producer of Roma to be nominated for best picture. Wow, that's right.
1: I did not uh, uh, take that into account. But tell me a little bit more about this and why has this been the case?
3: I mean, the first woman to get nominated for best picture was uh, 1975, I believe. I think it was Julia Phillips. And there have been 102 women nominated as producers since then, which is obviously a great feat and you know very happy but no latino women because uh latin women don't produce a lot of uh films let alone the ones that are in the running for best picture so Gabriela rodriguez who's a co-producer on the film has now broken that glass ceiling and it could not only be the first nominated now possibly the first winner of you know best picture
1: winner. So this is one of the things that I've criticized Alfonso on and that he's made good on now. Um, I've always criticized Alfonso Cuaron that ever since he went Hollywood, he never really made another Spanish language film. And it was that moment where I said, dude, did you forget where you came from and who you are and what your culture is? The idea is if you're going to cross over into Hollywood, bring people with you. Yeah. And I'm talking women, I'm talking indigenous faces, I'm talking about the ability to bring actors and lead your films. Um, that way they can partake in the glory, which ultimately represents us as a community because of the successes. But if you're not doing that, then shame on you, man. Epic fail. The yeah, fact I mean, that he really- did this now and he's bringing in female producers in, this is that moment that I wanted him to do and, and he came through.
3: Yeah, I mean this this was a criticism on him from the Latino community for years. You know, after *Ithumamam Yang, everyone's like, you know, dude, where where is it? Like, like great, you did *Children of Men*. Great, you did *Gravity*. Great, you did a *Harry Potter* movie. But like, you know, when, when are you going back to your roots? And I'm and I, I think as a community we get so uh like. Hyperbolic in terms of like, hurry up, go back to your roots and give us something. Like, Roma is such a thing that doesn't get made in Hollywood (laughs) that he had to grassroot it nearly and do so much of it himself in order to get it made. And then to have something like Netflix pick it up is such a big thing and something that, you know, he may have opened the door for so many filmmakers and producers inadvertently that we're just not even looking at yet. But I think one of the big things from Roma that has to be spoken about, two big things, two Hispanic women nominated in acting categories, yes. major acting stories, categories, Yalitza Aparicio in Best Actress. She leapflogged Emily Blunt for yes. Mary Poppins Returns, which is Bananas, and Marina Titavera in Supporting Actress, which again, I mean, Yalitza was Widely predicted. Even though her nomination was a surprise, we it was widely predicted because people thought she was really on the cusp for a few weeks now. So that wasn't that surprising. Marina came out of nowhere. Nowhere, man. She She came in with no Globe nomination, no SAG nomination, no BAFTA nomination, no Critics Choice nominations. For anyone who doesn't know, those are the four big televised award shows. Usually you need at least one of them to, like, really put yourself in the running for something big like this. And she had none of that. And she walks in and says, nah, I'll take that spot that was reserved for <laughs> any number of women. One Another Emily Blunt performance in A Quiet Place. Claire Foy from First Man. Cometson McKenzie right. from Leading No Trace. Like, everyone. got left and dust, she made it in.
1: So let's talk about Yelitsa first, um, because I think it's, 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 it's a bigger news headline here. Uh, for me, it's a big deal because she's indigenous. And indigenous faces never ever really see mainstream uh, airtime at all, whether it's in film or whether it's in television. The second thing about Yelitsa is, is not an actress. She's never acted yeah. in her life. According to Alfonso Cuaron in many interviews, he has said that Yalitza was one of the most difficult casting choices that they've had to make. It took a year just to find her. And uh, he, he, he reveres the moment that he found her because it was so difficult to find someone of her caliber. Um, and, and for her to be nominated as best actress off the gate has to be surreal, not only for her, but it's a shock to many, many other people. So take me through, number one, how the conversation now has, it will shift to indigenous people having more on-air screen. Why do you think indigenous people have been left out of the conversation, have not been cast in many movies, and have definitely not been represented, not even in in Spanish TV uh, yeah. so much? What is it about indigenous people that People that that most Latinos even themselves don't seem to want to hire or cast.
3: Um. The mean short answer: color of skin matters a lot. So and there is media. racism
1: within the Latino oh, community. Yes.
3: Uh, yes. Uh, like, listen, there's there's racism within our own Latino community. Like, I I I can remember growing up, and I had a really good friend, and she was Dominican, and she her family was. Overtly racist on darker Dominicans who they share an island with, like just because we, as a stance, we come in all different shades and and colors of the rainbow, like we just do that. And I think as media, they they're they're looked at the same way. Like you know, you can be Latino, but you have to be kind of safe and be a little on the lighter side, so we don't have to like you know really confuse us. I mean, look at big. Latin stars like Sofia Vergara, you know, big on Modern Family, you know, and they like what 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 how she's portrayed on the show. Like there's there's certain Latinisms that you're allowed to have in certain roles. Yeah, let's uh breaks the mold in so many different ways, kills it in her role. My my personal pick for the best performance of the entire year of any person is the Alexa. Why? Yes, she, why? I, I think, why? Because she... Because they're, 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 they're,
1: they're, they're, we God. live in an era where the Oscars and most uh, award shows that are televised celebrate the loud, histrionic yeah. performance. Uh, the, the person that loses 70 pounds, the person that is beautiful like Shirley Theron, and then... Uh, Takes off the makeup and is seen as someone who's not beautiful anymore. That's what we celebrate, but we don't celebrate the subtle performances, right? Like uh, the, yeah. the profound I mean, emotional uh, performances, like Yelitsa did. Why is this one celebrated this year?
3: Listen, Oscar has trained us that you know you're loud, you're disabled, like that's what gets you an Oscar nomination. That's what gets you wins, but as trained critics, as critics that are supposed to really analyze the medium and, and the acting performances, Yulitza, it's not in those big scenes where she comes alive. It is in subtle uh, observations of moments. It is sitting in a wheelchair in an elevator, going up uh, in a hospital that like you see like the anguish and like the weight of so much. It is her walking into an ocean where you honestly only see her silhouette, but her voice carries. Like there's, there are just things like that that you can find the humanity, like the soul of humanity in a performance. Yalitza does it beautifully, and Yalitza, tr- another trumper of history here, like is the fourth, just the fourth Latina woman. Hispanic woman to be nominated in the best actress category. Isn't that incredible? Came, came with Fernanda Montenegro in '98 for Central Station. Uh, Sama Hayek got it in 2002 for Frida. Frida, and and then Catalina Sandino Moreno in 2004 for Maria Full of Grace. You know, and and now three out of these four are for Spanish speaking roles. Yeah. Like, Uh Like she, she, she's, she's doing so much there, you know? And I think once in a while, Oscar can surprise us. I think more than anything, these 1500 new members that have been invited over the past few years, this is the year we felt the weight of the change in the Academy. Right. We now, we now, I think I physically now have seen it. These are what the 1500 people are bringing to the table. That's why you don't see, Peter Farrelly, invest director and Oh yeah. There's a like, bunch of
1: snubs uh that a lot of people yeah. will go, hey, wait a minute, why wasn't he here? Et cetera, et cetera. But Because but, the
3: Academy is changing.
1: Because the Academy's face is changing, right? Uh, but before yeah. we move on to the snubs, uh the other thing I wanted to ask you is about Yelita is what do you think she's mentally going through right now? Her family, her friends, the town where she grew up in. This is not meant to happen. Uh, to someone like Yelitza, uh, Historically, it's not meant to happen. Not that it shouldn't happen, but it just doesn't happen, and that's the truth. Yeah. And so you're conditioned to accept that you will never reach these heights. Mentally, what do you think she's going through right now? And when she gets to that stage, and if they happen to announce her name, which, by the way, we most people think that Glenn Close is probably going to get the award. Yeah. But let's just say, just going there, What does this mean to her? And what kind of social impact do you think this has right now?
3: So you're going to be able to share this with me because you and I are both members of the Broadcast Film Critics Association, which does the Critics' Choice. Netflix spent an obscene amount of money on Oscar campaigning this year, especially when it came to Roma. Yalitza was everywhere. I have seen her the most. Out of any person this year, and I've been to festivals all across the country. Like, I went to the Middleburg Film Festival. I went to Toronto. I, you know, I went to LA. Like, every event, she's there. They have had her out everywhere. I, and and I don't know this for sure, so you can't, like, quote me on this as fact. I don't even know if she is going to be an actress again after this. Right. Because she was a teacher, they found her in a preschool. And then just put her here. I I don't know what is going through her head. I'm sure she feels the weight and the honor of it, like as any person probably naturally would. But I don't know what she does with this now. I don't know if she goes and does another movie. You know, like, you know, we talk about the, the humps for Hispanics, color of skin, language is another one too. Ulyssa doesn't know English. You know, she's trying to learn but like you know, what what is she going to be able to get? What is Hollywood going to be able to offer her that's going to utilize her talents? That isn't going to be some generic, p- piss poor role that we're going to give some standard Latina in a movie because because you know what she'll be relegated to something like in Sicario three and then the Soldado <laughs> where she's right. like. Some pregnant mom, like on the street, that can't speak English, and then like her kids get shot or something like that. We're gonna Hollywood will like chew, chew her up and do nothing with her. So, I I hope to believe that she, if she does stick with acting, that Hollywood will afford the opportunities for her. And I think more so, and this all ties in why Leha was born this year, was that the depiction of Hispanics in Hollywood and in the world is being very, very poorly uh, shown and portrayed all in media outlets, all in politics. So I hope that if she does stick with acting, that producers will come to her aid and give her something of substance that will match what she does here. Cause I'm saying her performance, I believe may be like an all timer in that regard. And something that we can look at 25 years from now and just be like, think this was her and maybe we never saw her again but it's her gift to us
1: let's jump into black panther really quick uh a lot of nominations for black panther and interestingly enough it's a it's a movie that i've always said the movie is a seminal movie for culture for society but i don't necessarily think this is a great film to the point that i don't even think that black panther is the best film within the superhero genre
3: listen I, so, so i'll just start here with you jack the Dark Knight snub has finally been let go. We can finally move past it. Mm-hmm. Like, this, th- since 2008, Dark Knight, missed Best Picture, the Oscars have chased this moment. And do you know, and, and I think you kind of feel the same way. We finally got to this moment where it's in Best Picture and we kind of just shrugged our shoulders today, right? <laughs> like we all just—we collectively went okay, because there were bigger fish to fry, right? I felt more weight on Roma being mm-hmm. in Best Picture and everything that was there. And listen, Black Panther, I think, is a really, really good movie, and I, I like—I'm—I'm I'm really happy for it. I'm really happy for it. But the the Oscars collectively have just tried to run towards this moment almost in a short-sighted manner earlier this past year when they were like, hey, we're going to create the best popular film category right. so other films can get in there. Like They have literally been do- like framing this up. So Black Panther, great, it made it. And you know what? But it still didn't do that great overall because it got... Besides Best Picture, it got no other major nominations. Not screenplay, no acting, no, acting. no directing. So like, what does that tell standard, you? Yeah, I mean, it got a standard text, and you know what? At the end of the day. I think it's pulling a donut on the night. I don't think it's winning anything. I think it's the best shot, maybe it's costumes, And in the weirdest world where it like upsets my favorite score of the year, Beale Street, it would win score. But I don't think it's winning anything.
1: So do you think that the reason that Black Panther got chosen was not because of the make goods of the Dark Knight superhero genre and the popular film thing, but it had to do more with the Oscar so white hashtag?
3: It it, it was a a collection of everything. It It was... it was a culmination of 10 years of running towards this. Like it was a money, it was, it's the fourth highest grossing film of all time. It is Oscar. So white, uh, response. It is, you know, the superhero genre finally getting its proper due. And I am happy for all the comic book fanboys out there who like are probably crying their faces off right now. And I'm and you know what? I'm glad it's black Panther, you know, like, it's a black superhero movie that did it. It wasn't Logan last year. You know, it, it wasn't a lot of these other films. It, it was Black Panther that did it. So, you know, would I have loved to see other things in there instead of? Yeah, because Black Panther's not in my top 10 of the year. But, you know, there are a lot of movies in this top eight best picture lineup that shouldn't be there, but yet they are. So,
1: A lot of people don't believe that uh, Bohemian Rhapsody should have been there. A lot of people don't think Green Book should have been there. Uh, so you're vice. absolute <laughs> right. Vice, definitely vice, uh, not well received by critics yet. Somehow <laughs> Christian Bale is winning everything. It's nominated for every best picture category. It's it's, I don't even understand it, but any snubs on your end that you are still fuming about?
3: Won't you be my neighbor missing along with three identical strangers and doc feature was pretty big. I think the biggest like jaw dropper of the day was Bradley Cooper not getting director for A Star is Born.
1: Right, that think, movie was extremely well-directed, man. The cinematography yeah. on that was excellent. The acting, uh, it, it was yeah. as close to a flawless film as I've seen all year. Yeah. Uh, and I keep on hearing, I actually, I think I heard A.O. Scott, chief film critic of the New York Times, say uh, today that Bradley didn't campaign as a director because he wanted the film to speak for itself.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's what did it. Personally, I mean, he still got three nominations in the day, so we can't say, like, it worked in all these areas, but not this one. I, I mean, I think, honestly, it was an embarrassment of riches in director. Um, Sarsborn has been touted as the front runner for so long that sometimes, like, you just kind of fall off your face in the end, as we saw last year. With three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, Martin McDonough, the director there, missed a director nomination in the end, and that film was winning. Uh, ben, Affleck Argo,
1: ben Affleck and ben Argo. Ben Affleck
3: and Argo. Argo. It happens a lot. Like it's just where we are. Green Book missed director, and that film has won audience award after audience award, and just won the Producers Guild of America, and maybe still wins best picture in the end. So let's just frame that as a possibility. Wow, you
1: really think Green Book has yeah. a shot to displace so, Roma?
3: What? what let me, let me ask you something, Jack. What is the one movie everyone's been comparing Green Book to?
1: Uh, Driving Miss Daisy.
3: Yes. And what did Driving Miss Daisy do?
1: One Best Picture.
3: Without Best Director.
1: Without be- Wow, you're right. Yeah. That's right. That is yeah. right. But, but Driving Miss Daisy didn't go in with uh,
3: such bad press. I, I mean... mean it's, a, it's a different time, yes. I mean, it, it, listen... Green Book has been winning also in spite of that. I mean, it won the Producers Guild of America, and that was pretty big under all the bad press. So I think, and, and, and Oscars, again, go to preferential ballot in Best Picture. So do I th- and Green Book probably is going to win Mahershala Ali, supporting actor at the end of the day. So I think on a preferential ballot, I think it's going to have a bunch of twos and threes and stuff like that and then sometimes that's just what you need to win best picture i'm not saying it definitely happens i'll I'll tell you i'll tell you this right now there were two films today just two films actually technically three films that had everything they need to win best picture just based on the nominations today and that's black klansman the favorite and vice right that that that's on paper they have the goods if we bring it broader outside of the Oscars into the actual award season, then the only films that have not missed what they needed to could win Best Picture is only one, and that is Black Lansman.
1: Yeah. Um, So before we wrap up, let me just kind of put out a couple of things here. Uh, For those of you that still have not checked out what the best picture movies are that the Oscar nominations chose, they were Black Panther, Spike Lee's Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, which has gotten a lot of Uh, slack uh, for the portrayal of homosexuals in the film uh, saying and the criticism being that Rami Malek wasn't I guess gay enough in in the role of Freddie Mercury that they kind of like straightened him um, etc etc the favorite is one film that is out there yet a period piece with a lot of sense of humor cleverness and a lot of artistic creativity Green Book also a lot of bad press Roma, obviously the front runner, stars born, well liked by everybody. Vice, no one, a lot of people still scratching their heads about this one. What happens after if Roma wins Best Picture and has a dominating uh, Oscar ceremony? Does this change the conversation from Latino critics complaining that we're not represented, that no one cares about our stories, that our voices are not being heard, you're not choosing our actors in acting categories? Does this silence all the Latinos?
3: So I will say this, it shouldn't, nor will it, because we can't we can't look at it as being thrown a bone and say, okay, Chew on this. Shut up for a while. The industry must change all around. So if Roma wins Best Picture, I want to. The Oscars are February 22nd, right? I want to see February 23rd. Who's writing about Roma winning Best Picture? Is it just all the white critics talking about it? Because it's going to mean a lot to people like you and me and Carlos Aguilar and uh, Jay Don Burnham and all these Latino critics that write about film on a daily basis, Roma's winning is going to mean the world to us. And if we're not given the opportunity to write about it, so we're going to get this Roma winning best picture from the white perspective. And it's just not going to do, it's not going to carry the weight of what it, what it really could you have to, I'm not, and that's not saying that only, that white people shouldn't be allowed to write about Roma it's saying that we should have also other people writing about things like this. Roma is going to trump history in a lot of ways. It could be being the first foreign language film to win best picture. Like there's so many things that are going to happen.
1: Has any movie ever won best foreign film and best picture in the same night?
3: No, no, no foreign film has ever won best picture. Never. So, so, so this will be the first thing outside of the English language to win best picture the closest thing we've ever got to a foreign language winner is a silent film which is the artist yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah that's literally all we have like we don't get for, like listen like we have three foreign films in the cinematography category we have two foreign directors dominate in best director for foreign films like I'm telling you this new Academy made its mark this year they said let's see what happens now Voting's gonna open up to the masses, so now everyone votes on every single category. So now I want to see what kind of damage Roma does now. Like, what can Roma really win out of its ten nominations? I think it lives somewhere in a five-six zone, which I think like it, I, I think Guadong probably wins director if Spike Lee doesn't come from behind him. I think it definitely wins cinematography and foreign language. I think it has a shot at like one or both of the sound categories. And I think it's a threat in screenplay if the favorite doesn't uh you know, take it from it. I think though I think the women are just happy to be there, I'll be honest. Like Glenn Close, you were right. She's gonna win Best Actress, I think, in a walk. And I think Regina King is winning supporting actress. But, you know, Marsha Gay Harden won Best Supporting Actress with nothing also leading into it. So and she beat out Kate Hudson. Yeah. We're almost famous, so crazy things happen.
1: Clayton Davis, owner of AwardCircuit.com and president of the Latino Entertainment Journalist Association. Dude, thank you so much, and excellent work throughout the season. I follow you on everything, and for the most part, you've been nailing it, brother. So congratulations and uh, great work throughout the award season, all right? No, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And before I move on to my next interview with Carlos Ponce, here's a quick preview of the five original songs that were nominated for the 2019 Oscars. Maybe
3: they like them, but might let me know.
1: Black Panther's All the Stars, performed by Kendrick Lamarck, featuring SZA.
0: <laughs>
1: a Star is Born's Shallow, performed by Lady Gaga. documentary RBG's I'll fight performed by Jennifer Hudson
0: Maybe all those things that you
1: Mary Poppins returns the place where lost things go sung by Emily Blunt
0: where the lost things go.
1: <laughs> The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings, sung by Willie Watson and Tim Blake Nelson.
3: When a cowboy trades his spurs for wings.
1: You guys know I'm not much of a novelero guy since La Reina del Sur aired in 2011. Wow, it's been seven years already. Uh, but Telemundo's new series, Jugar con Fuego, starring Carlos Ponce, is just ten episodes episodes. And it's really not a telenovela. It's more like a movie told over the period of two weeks. And I am definitely intrigued by the innovation that Spanish language TV programming is having. And to tell me more about it is Carlos Ponce. He's here on the show. He's one of the stars of *Jugar con Fuego. Carlos, great to have you on the highly relevant podcast, my man.
2: Awesome, bro. I'm I'm psyched. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me and for sharing your awesome... uh uh, publico with me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So before we get into it, there's a couple of uh, leads that were buried when I was pitched this uh this uh this 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 series and one of them is that it's the first time that a female director directs anything on Telemundo uh in terms of prime time and I thought that was incredible. Uh it's also the first time that Tony Plana, who's mostly known for his English language work, is doing Spanish, which yes. I thought was beyond. Um and is this the first time that Telemundo does a
2: ten episode series on prime time? Well, I'm not. Uh, it, it's not the first time. It may be the first one to air. You know that there, there's always uh, there are always strategies in programming. Right. But uh, but they have they have uh, they have been doing some of these. They did uh, the thirteen episode uh, El Recluso uh, last year, which was uh, amazing. And, uh, and and just basically, and, a, and a very high quality. They're aiming to uh, to cater to uh, what we're watching and the way we're watching uh, TV, which is you know short, sweet, to the point. You right. know, no dragged out stories, uh, and, uh, and and of of incredible, amazing production value.
1: Yeah, no, that's one thing that I noticed that you guys have really sort of um, emphasized how great the quality production is. Uh, but let's begin with you before we get into some viewer habits and the innovative ways that you guys have produced the show. Jugar con Fuego is a 10-episode series. Tell me a little bit about what this is.
2: It's kind of hard to describe. When you read the book, it's almost like, uh, like, uh, like, a, uh, like a drama, Right. You know where I'm coming from. It's right. like a melodrama, you know, because there's love, uh, you know, a, a couple of love stories involved and whatever. But as we uh, as we started rolling, and when I, and I was watching the way the uh, they were producing and shooting and the angles, realized that that this was more of a thriller and a, of a whodunit uh, kind of story. Oh, interesting. So that blend, you know, yeah, oh. it's a beautiful magic blend. Uh, because sometimes we, we get to fo- follow uh, or, or become a little bit predictable because we read a script and, and we uh, just assume, okay, I get it, we gotta shoot it this way. Mm-hmm. So this is completely outside the box. I don't think we're doing <laughs> anything like this. I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm bright in the middle. You know, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, been in the States for 32 years. Uh, I absolutely love uh, uh, binge watching and, and, uh, and television and, and movie going. Uh, and I'm not comparing this to the uh, to projects in the in the Latin world. Uh, I'm actually uh, saying that, uh, that that we're not trying to be equal. Uh, I mean, we're not trying to reach oh, wow. or be equal. But I think we're surpassing a lot of uh, you know a lot of television shows and. Uh, in the in the general market, Holy with cow. this particular project and all the things they're doing, yeah.
1: So tell me a little bit about Jorge Jaramillo. Um I've been watching a little bit uh, of the trailers and some clips here and there. Who is this guy? Why did you want to play him? And what is he bringing of value to the uh, to to the show?
2: Well, Jaramillo is a very traditional guy. Um, he doesn't come from money, but he he's uh, almost self-made, but also you know married well. Uh, because of his ambitious uh, ambition um, he entered this this grand family of uh, of coffee uh, making and uh, and um, and exportation and uh, and kind of like took over and and won them over but he's very machista very traditional you know everything's very square for him uh, there's, there's no flexibility in the way he thinks mm-hmm. uh, towards the world towards business so or, uh, and towards love for that matter so. You know, For his wife and daughter and people around him It's like it's his way or the highway Andrea, ¿otra vez no desayuna con nosotros? Tenle paciencia ¿Para qué? ¿Qué? ¿Qué está haciendo? ¿Qué? Ayer estuvo en el puesto de calle de Martín
1: ¿Y usted cómo sabe eso?
2: Por las tarjetas de crédito Le pedí que me mantuviera informado
3: ¿Cómo?
1: Andrea tiene derecho a su intimidad
2: Con mi plata no
1: Y ¿por qué estás involucrando a Gildardo en algo tan personal?
2: Porque es el único en la familia en quien puedo confiar. Now, are you a Colombian in the in in the series? I, uh, well, I was raised in Colombia, you know, got there uh, as a kid, uh, uh, so be, uh, I, I do have to kind of like adopt the uh, the Paisa accent, which is the one from the, that kind of region. Right. Uh, right. Which, which right. was uh, uh a, a challenge, but a delicious one because I, I think the language itself is an aphrodisiac when <laughs> you you know <laughs> it's where uh, it, it is
1: it's true yeah but
2: it, it's almost like the air you breathe over there is an aphrodisiac <laughs> and so it's coffee so the this entire thing is you you just walk around and and say, okay, what's next? Where do I go?
1: So, was it difficult for you to adopt a Baisa accent? Which is, you know, I've heard people do it. I've heard I've heard actors do a Baisa accent, and sometimes with disastrous results. In your particular case, how do you yeah. think you fared with it? And was it difficult to to accurately inhabit it?
2: Well, here's the thing. I, you know, the Baisa is not one specific a- accent. There are there are so many regions right that include uh, uh, themselves as paisas. so uh, if, uh, in my case it was mild but i uh, it was my, it was a mild accent uh, he also wasn't you know necessarily born there uh, but but moved there at a young age um, and also i uh, you know to have been traveling to colombia since uh, you know since i was a kid uh, so you know i just i just love the place and, uh, and also because of the music uh, i believe i have a good ear yeah. When it comes to accents and <laughs> those things. Yeah, I, I can pull them off. I can do them in English too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Listen, now that you're talking about English as well, I know you from Control, man. Uh, that's the first time I saw you with uh, Leslie Ann Machado. And it was when you really kind of came into the social consciousness uh-huh. uh, back in the day. I believe it was in the 90s. And that was such a great show. And it was really a great platform for you and Leslie um, to, to, for the future of, and you've come a long way, man, uh, host, actor, singer. I mean, there's just so much that you do. What do you owe your versatility to?
2: I don't know. The fact that I can't, uh, stand alone. I, (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I don't, I don't like monotony. I, I just, uh, and I don't like someone telling me, uh, you can't do this. So, uh, entertainment I love in general, but but again, I'm and the reason why I like this project, I don't like to be put in a box. Uh, I I think that if you don't uh, disrespect your consumer, the public, your fans, by improvising, uh, but if you train, uh, if, if you go to workshops uh, or perhaps hire experts or tutors to uh, to teach you, uh, you can you know you can accomplish whatever you want as long as, again, you're not improvising or, or you know, disrespecting your, your audience.
1: Let's talk a little bit about viewer habits because it's one of the key reasons that I wanted to talk to you is you've been in this business for a long time. You've seen the evolution of Spanish-language television, obviously English-language television, and television as a whole. What are the viewer habits today that you've noticed that Telemundo finally said, you know what, we're going to have to catch up and finally be an equal playing field with the general market and do this? Um, why, why the innovation now? Why not the innovation five, ten years ago?
2: Um, well, I, I, I think this, uh, my disclaimer right now is this is my humble opinion and not necessarily Telemundo's point of view, uh, but I'm assuming these are assumptions that I, I am making. You know, everyone's watching uh, um, their programming, a vertical, you know, streaming uh, outside of, uh, of your regular box of TV or even uh, the movie-going experiences has, has gone down. In general, because you have access to your shows, and uh, and 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 people want to watch them at their own time and pace. So I believe the networks. Again, my disclaimer: this is me. <laughs> yeah. The networks uh, have to produce uh, out, for uh, to outsource not only for their own platforms, right? And and this is how we get to uh, not only survive but lead. Um, and I believe this is what, what's happening now, you know, just, you know, thinking ahead and, and, and trying to be, uh, you know, be, uh, again, that, I fear it sounding repetitive, like a step ahead, mm-hmm. uh, of technology.
1: What about the idea of attracting a bilingual viewer? Uh, because, you know, one of the complaints that I've had about Spanish language TV for a long, long time, and I'm not sure if you agree with me on this or not, but you're bilingual yourself, is that... Telemundo has always created content for themselves, for their own audience. And I believe that that's been a failure because by limiting yourself to only a particular audience, you're never going to see any growth if you don't start attracting other audiences. And I always felt that the U.S. Hispanic, the one that born here that does speak English and Spanish could be a Telemundo viewer or a Univision viewer in that particular case. Yeah. The idea of maybe including... A African American, an Asian, a white Anglo Saxon British guy. Something that allows the the projects that you do, Carlos, with Spanish language TV to look more like America as opposed to Latin America,
2: no, and to look like like the world exactly, <laughs> and not, and not only America because we're consuming from all over the world. You know, exactly, It's becoming huge right now. Listen, you know, I, I, you mentioned control. You know, I was doing that. Uh, you know, twenty five years ago, I was being bilingual on TV. Right. right. <laughs> um, Actually, that name, that name, that title was chosen because it means the same thing in English and in Spanish and spelled exactly the same. Do
1: you ever see a time where you're doing a project in Spanish language television that is a bilingual b that uh, involves other cultures, not just Latin American actors or Latin American stories, yeah. but more of American stories in a bilingual format Do, are we close to that ever happening in Spanish language TV we're, we're,
2: we're, we're there we're we're there it's it's almost there sometimes you, you just if it's on a, an American platform you know uh, the, the, the 90% of it will be English and then some will be in Spanish if it's on our platform because we've been doing it uh, you, you'll see it there's a lot of you know um, uh, American actors on uh, you know on, on our border uh, shows and and some of the narcos uh uh, speaking, you know, in English and getting subtitled. You know, I did a show a couple years ago, Cristela, that had a yeah. lot of Spanish and it was on ABC. Um, and, you know, me and Fluffy and, you know, there was a couple of, uh, of actors that were, you know, just <laughs> breaking the Spanish. Um, so it's there, you know, slowly, uh, slowly, but surely. It's, uh, I think it was uh, at the beginning, an issue of advertising mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and who was the client to the buyer. Right. And who were they aiming to, and, and and of course making naive mistakes as to well, yeah, that's not my uh, my demographic, and it's completely untrue, you know, us being you know the biggest uh, buying power in the uh, in the United States.
1: And also speaking about bilingualism, you know, one of the things that I love most about you, more than anything else, is the ability to go into a Spanish language project and be natively Latino, and then to same way, seamlessly go into an English language project and fluidly look like you're American. The thing is you also look white American as well. So it's so difficult to kind of nail you down on where you're from or your accent because it's so perfect um, why do you think that more there aren't more bilingual actors doing that going from English to Spanish Spanish to English
2: it's it's all a matter of, uh, of, of, of uh, a little bit of stereotype of how we're looked it's actually been uh the uh, biggest double-edged sword in in my career I am too Latino to be American I am too uh, oh, wow I look too American to be Latino and uh and I, I you know I, I, I've I've had to fake an accent or, or thicken my accent just to go audition for something. Really? Uh, and, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. If, if you notice, my roles in English have, you know, except for maybe Lips Jungle and Cristella, where I could be, you know, a normal person who was born and raised uh, in the States of Latin background. But otherwise, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing a Latino, I need to thicken my accent and, and put some uh, black mousse in my hair <laughs> or something. <laughs>
1: You know what's interesting? Um, I was just remembering a lot of the shows that I've seen you in English. Uh, obviously, recently you were in Major Crimes, Devious Maids, Cristela. You were also in Spy. Couples Retreat is a highlight for me because that's the one that I thought was the funniest thing you've ever done, um, and yeah, it was so big memorable. On that one, yeah, man. <laughs> but but outside of that, I just thought is what you brought to that particular project. You were one of, if not the highlight of that particular film also saw you in Lipstick Jungle all the way back from the days of 90210. When you start in Spanish and you cross over into English, which is a term that's now almost outdated, they never
2: usually- Oh, it's backwards now. Oh yeah,
1: (laughs) I know. (laughs) But usually when you do that crossover, you never come back. You are like 50% Spanish, 50% English. Why is that?
2: Because I, I, I do know the value of uh, of my Spanish speaking um, audience,
1: what is that value?
2: It, it 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 works all around. They're your followers. They are your numbers. They are your uh, endorsements. They, you know, I was trying to explain it in uh, internet uh, terms, but you know, if I have uh, two million followers on uh, on Instagram, let's say, and uh, and one point five are Spanish speaking right um I, ca- I can't sell that to um uh, to a general market uh, um endorsement uh, endorser right goes, okay so really when we pull your analytics uh it's three hundred thousand, which are regular numbers for any actor in in english because they're uh, you know in spanish we're a lot more active but when i have a combination that you know my my worth my value is a lot larger
1: so so speaking about your social media uh you have one of the best social media platforms that I've seen in, in, in actors. And I think you kind of bring the full Carlos Ponce experience, at least to Instagram.
2: Why have you fallen <laughs> in? A, is, the, that a, is that a new? <laughs> new <laughs> I mean, I don't survive. know, man. Is that a new universal?
1: I, I don't know. But the thing is, you do it so well, man. And, and it, it is a draw. It's almost like must watch social media TV. And I wanted to ask you why you've fallen in love so much with it. Why are you so comfortable where so many other celebrities and actors aren't?
2: Um, I don't know. I'm a dork. I am love self-deprecation. My family's always been like that. You know, it's okay to make fun of yourself and it's okay to do it in public. We don't call them fans, you know, our group. So most, you know, friends, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or cyber friends, they, they really appreciate it too, because they, you know, they get a little more of an insight than just what you, you know, what they assume you want to show them or when you're promoting something. And they don't like to be sold on things. Immediately, they turn off. Um, I tried, you know, this thing where where people... Or would post for me I got hit like a like a brick uh, within seconds you know they were they were writing no we don't like that that's not you we know that's not you posting stop doing that
1: wow <laughs> you know what I mean? so yeah so you have to be genuine and relatable and I don't think anybody does a better job than you do and then my final question is on Puerto Rico you're obviously Puerto Rican you've done a lot of charity work recently uh, for Puerto Rico how do you see the situation yeah. in Puerto Rico in the United States how do you feel about it
2: uh Delicate, delicate thing to say because we're uh, very proud. Um, uh, Puerto Ricans are very, very proud and we don't like to hear um, uh, anybody criticize us, but um, uh, we need to get our act together from within, <laughs> I think. Right. Uh, Puerto Rico was just on, uh, you know, on, on, at the top of Time magazine's uh, uh, favorite places to visit. Uh, um, I think it was Time.
1: New York Times, uh, New, York sure. Times. Be,
2: I, 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 New York Times. yeah, yeah. That was the New York Times, yeah. uh, So it's, it's still there because of its people, because of the way we treat the tourists. Um, but we want it back the way it was, you know, like the paradise that, that it is. And we do need help, uh, you know, from, from outside. We need help from the U.S., but we need to help ourselves uh, as well, you know, and get Iraq together.
1: And then my final question, Carlos, there is so much for viewers to choose from uh, in this particular age uh, and the era that we live in. Why should people go watch Jugar Con Fuego this Tuesday, January 22nd at 9 p.m. on Telemundo?
2: Well, you know, uh, uh, this day and age, uh, it's all about word of mouth. That's how they find out. One person sees it, gets hooked, loves it, and tells someone else. And then that spreads. Um, I believe this is going to be one of those. You know, Jugar Con Fuego is amazing. It's fast. It's, you know, you have a cliffhanger or two in every episode. Um And and I believe just people are going to be, you know, drawn uh, by it in in, uh, an amazing way. All right, buddy. Thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks for having me and sharing your audience with me. You rock.
1: And that's it for episode 101 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Carlos Ponce and Clayton Davis for joining me. And I hope you guys enjoyed the discussions as well. If you'd like to support the show, please spread the word on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Twitter at JackRicoOfficial and on Instagram at JustJackRico. Not JustJackRico, at (laughs) JackRico. Also, remember to tune in this Saturday morning at 11 a.m. for a brand new episode of Consumer 101 on NBC and Taller del Consumidor on Telemundo at 10.30 a.m. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant.